So last week we looked at Psalm 1 and Joshua 1, but it was the radical phrase that said, if you'll meditate in God's word day and night, God says, I'll prosper you in all that you do. The grand poobah of all blessings. You can't think of a better one. Try to come up with a, a better blessing, a more extraordinary blessing, a blessing that could top that one. You, you can't. And, and God connects that to his word. Jesus says the word, God created the heavens and the earth and water and air and food. And he also made on our planet the word of God. It's God's DNA. It's his fingerprint. And Jesus says, I'm getting it throughout the earth. And he's done it in various times in various ways. But Jesus says, man can't live by bread alone. But you guys know what? What? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the Bible's not that big of a book. If you read averagely, I, like I said, I think if you get like a, you know, I used to get like cassette tapes. We don't have you know, anymore. But if, you, if you were to get the whole Bible, somehow, DVD, or, and, and you were to have that guy with the beautiful English voice um, reading from Genesis to Revelation, I believe it's 72 hours. I mean, you can break that down. You know, if you were to commit that to an hour a day, you'd be reading the Bible about every three months from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, half an hour a day, probably every six months. But yet, I don't think anybody, any of us would be shocked if somehow we could get a real honest survey of all the denominations not just Calvary Chapel, but all the denominations, and ask the question, have you really read all the Bible? I think a lot of people are surprised that Habakkuk and Obadiah is a book of the Bible. And then on top of that, to have meditated in it day and night. The Bible doesn't say read the Bible. It doesn't anywhere. Every time it says it, it says meditate, which is uh, a word that we see in Hebrew where a lion has his gazelle and he's on top of it and purring as he's ripping that thing apart, eating it. It's also the word of a cow with four stomachs digesting one stomach after the next after the next and regurgitation. And so Jesus says, he didn't say Man can't live by bread alone, but by reading the Bible, every, he does that. He says, chewing on it, eating it, digesting it like you would food. And, um, and so it's, it's sort of a crazy blessing. So as we are now into 2020 and you say, man, I'd like 2020 to be a more prosperous year than the past years. Um. What are some absolute things I can do that would help me? Of course, we, we say lose weight and, you know, be more frugal and, you know, all those kind of things that we never do. Um, or less, at least not long enough to make a big, a big difference. But, you know, here it is. You know, it's so simple. And, and as I talked about, it's not weird. 
You know, it doesn't take you out of just being a regular human. You're not a Muslim carrying around his rug to throw down wherever you're at, facing east five times a day. You're not a Hare Krishna with a shaved head and a bunch of beads where you can take them and 90 times a day, Hare Hare, Hare, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Rama, Rama, you know, and count your beads. There's no jewelry needed. There's no special haircut. There's no special tin speed or outfit to wear. God just says, just let it meditate in your heart. As far as people around you know, you're working like everybody else is working, driving and eating and living like everybody else around you, but they don't know something that you know. And that is, as you're going about your day, you're chewing and regurgitating and, and purring and humming and growling, going, God, get that scripture from my head into my heart. And as you're doing that, God is saying, this is so essential. Man can't make it on just human activity and human food and human touch and human love and, and, and human success. It's an empty life. The real life comes as you walk with God and God walks with you as your mind is on the things above where Christ is seated. Or you're being fruitful, right? You're not just getting it done, but you're representing Christ while you're getting it done. You're not just being successful in the world standards, but the Spirit of God's causing you to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control Why you're doing it. And people say, what's up with you? There's a nature, there's a character. I, I can't put my finger on it, but something I can't see or touch is wonderful about you. And I want to investigate you to find out what it is. Because I can't tell just by hanging out with you in the course of the day because you look like a regular human. But something is going on differently. I've worked next to a lot of people in my life and there's a divine, special thing going on with you. What is it? And you say, I have come to realize that I'm not just a physical being, I'm a spiritual being. And I can't just be building up my physical man but I also need to be building up the inner man, growing stronger and stronger. And so we looked at so many verses, so many verses about the word I didn't look at. And, and today we're, we're going to come to another area of prosperity, and, and this is prayer. And again, it wasn't a matter of finding enough verses, it's a matter of scaling back, because there's so many awesome verses that I, I didn't put in here. I didn't put in the verse, pray without ceasing, like meditate on God's word day and night. Verse Corinthians 14, Paul says, I can pray with my mind, and I can pray with my spirit when my mind's unfruitful. The Bible says God's spirit will help us groan and pray without even knowing what we're praying, but yet in the perfect will of God. There's a, a life in the spirit where, like meditating the word day and night, we're also at the same time praying without ceasing. But... Um, the point I'd really like to make about prayer today is Jesus' mindset on prayer. And you guys got the notes here with you. 
And of course, I have an app. You can go to the App Store and type in Brian Newberry, Brian with the Y, and my words of encouragement app will come up, and the notes are there for future reference, or at this point, you can do that as well. Some people prefer the technology. But I did print it out in paper form for you. And in Mark 9.23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In Mark 10.27, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Mark 11.22-24, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Jesus here appears to be rather irresponsible. He's, he's telling them, believe God for radical, ridiculous, crazy, absurd, huge things, like mountains being moved. And then he didn't qualify it. Now hold it, guys. I, I need to qualify this. When it's God's timing, when it's God's will, if, you know, he, he didn't do that. I mean, if I were the Lord, I immediately would have taught balance. Believe God for great things like mountains being moved, but don't, don't really think he's going to actually move them out. And, and, and be balanced. You know, don't, don't get your expectations up so high that you're disappointed in prayer. And, and you know, come on. I mean, believe God to, you know, give you a little wind at your back and a little bump and help here and there, but don't, don't expect God to do constant miracles for you. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he basically tells them, expand your mind, expand your reach, quit thinking small, because God is the God where all things are possible, and nothing is impossible. And God's mind is basically thinking, it doesn't matter how big it is, I'm God, I can do anything, so nothing's hard for me. And, and, and so... You know, unplug, unplug the, the drain, if you would. Unplug the cork. And, 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 and quit thinking these little petty, minimal type prayers. Because you're talking to God. And nothing is impossible with God. Even picking up mountains and moving them. And Jesus gives no balance here. He gives no qualifying statement. You guys remember after the transfiguration, he comes down the hill and the demon, the, the disciples are trying to cast out a demon without success. And Jesus sort of scolds the apostles and he said to them, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. You say, well, Jesus talked about the mountain being moved stuff as an isolated event, you know. He had a little bit too much coffee that morning and, and you know, uh, he was a little hyper, a little ADD. He was, you know, he, he really wasn't thinking through what he said. So that one place where he said, move the mountain, you know, just sort of 
look at that as an anomaly. You know, he did it one time and, and, and just let it go. But he didn't do it one time. We choose two separate events. Earlier he had told the apostles, leave God for great things, even mountains being moved. And now sometimes later, they're having this difficulty and, and Jesus repeats it. And this time he says, guys, you may be the weakest believer in the room. A matter of fact, you are barely hanging on and your faith is so small you could barely see it. Like a mustard seed. The tiny, tiny little seed that you drop it on the ground you probably won't find it. But you can take the guy with the smallest amount of faith and he still has enough faith before God to move a whole mountain. So Jesus is again saying, guys, I'm not saying to the top 10% of you prayers, to the top 2% of most believers who have the greatest amount of faith, you know, when you get your black belt in praying, you guys, you very few people that will ever exist on the planet, but you guys are the mountain movers. Jesus now clarifies and says, look, the mountain moving type of prayers are for the weakest of Christians, are for the ones that are struggling with just a tiny little bit of faith. It would be no hindrance to see God do outrageous Things. In Matthew 18, talking about combined church, congregational praying, he says in verse 18 and 19, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning what? Anything. Jesus just isn't being balanced here. Anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Jesus along the way cursed a fig tree and it died because it didn't have fruit and it shouldn't have fruit. It wasn't in season. They did have some early little fruits that came out, but they were all gone. Of course, there's millions of people traveling by that way. It was Passover time. But in Matthew 21, Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, no one ever ate from you again. They went on. They walked by the same fig tree the next day and the apostles were astonished. <laughs> They said, Jesus, you just sort of passively, flippantly, we barely even caught it, but we did hear it. You just sort of mumbled, oh, no, I eat the that tree again, and we went on our way not thinking much about it until now, the next day, when we see this fig tree dried up from the roots up dead in, you know, less than a 24-hour period. This is a miracle. And Jesus in Matthew 21, 21 said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Do you guys get it here? He's got sort of this theme of mountain-moving prayers. He keeps trying to explain to them over and over again, Quit being surprised when God is doing mountain-moving type stuff. 
Because this is the Father's desire. This is my mentality as I walk through this planet as a man. This is how I live. Believing the Father for outrageous, huge things. In Luke 137, with God, nothing will be impossible. Skipping down to verse Luke 18:27, he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So Luke adds both sides of the coin. Nothing impossible, all things are possible. In John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus tells his apostles, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, there it is again, anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus says, you know, you've seen me now for three years doing some pretty outrageous miracles. And I'm telling you, this is rookie stuff. You guys will be doing greater works than who? Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh? Yes. And in essence, he is saying to them, the outrageous things you've seen through me are not because I have some special connection with prayer that no other man should ever expect. The Messiah is in his own category. That makes sense to us, right? Of course Jesus raised the dead. He's Jesus. Of course Jesus fed the 5,000 with a couple of those fishes. He's the Son of God. And Jesus is saying, never happened. Matter of fact, 12 times in the Gospel of John, he says, of myself, I did nothing. Only as the Father spoke did I speak. Only as the Father pointed me to do did I do. Of myself, nothing ever did I accomplish. It was all through the Father speaking it and the power of the Spirit. And so he's basically saying, guys, there, there is... Not a lesser expectation. Jesus came on the scene and did some radical things. Now Jesus is gone. We can never expect to see that ever again. But something's still pretty incredible under that. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you thinking that way. I, I want you to understand that after I leave this body and I go be with the Father, things are going to escalate, not minimize, not be lesser, but greater. He repeats this type of stuff in John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, again, this is the effect of abiding in the word day and night, you ask. When you are meditating the word, you are a prayer more. It's just one affects the other. As you're meditating the word, the word pushes you to begin to pray more. And he says, then as you're meditating in the word, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you, appointed you, ordained you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever 
You ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John 16, 23-24. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus is saying, the standing I have with the Father, you also are going to have that same exact standing. We know that, right? Second Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we can become the righteousness of Christ. That we are, you know, not as righteous as Christ. I mean, come on, who could be righteous? We are as righteous as Christ. Not because of our righteousness, not because of our works, not because we're sinless, but because that's how powerful the cross was. <laughs> Jesus took all our sins away. They're gone. Buried in the deepest sea, scattered as far as the east as the west. We now, before God, God looking at us, sees us exactly as the Father saw Jesus. As he is Jesus, so are we in this world, First John 4 tells us. So Jesus is saying, I need you guys to understand that just as I spoke to the Father, think of Jesus there before Lazarus' tomb. <laughs> Father! We know that story. He's been dead four days. and I'm not really praying to you right now because I could just pray in my heart Meditate in my heart, that would have been enough, but I'm doing it so everybody here can hear. And I'm praying to the Father, and the Father is raising the dead. And then he can say, look, guys, you're no different. I like the way Paul says it. Paul was a man of prayer. He saw some amazing things. He says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do, what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul, Paul is saying that your brain is, is not the brain that it could be. But God's not going to limit answering your prayers. We, we think up a prayer and, and, and God is going, that poor guy, he can't think of the words. His brain won't go there for whatever reason. But I'm going to blow his mind. I'm going to do above, abundantly above, exceedingly abundantly above, even what his brain can come up with. And the Apostle John says this in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now to this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we ask of him. So John now, at the very end, is qualifying, right? The same guy that was the author of the Gospel of John in those outrageous verses we just read is now an old guy, decades after Jesus. And now he's writing first John. And what is he saying here? You don't have to be afraid. Pray what you desire. Pray whatever you want. Ask God for outrageous things. And you don't have to worry about blowback. 
You don't have to worry about human foolishness messing things up. God, move that mountain. Oh, now I realize why that mountain was there. God, move the mountain back. <laughs> in, that, in other words, we're going to pray stuff and then regret it. You know, that, that's like the magic genie, right? You find the bottle, and, and you're trying to make sure you don't ask for something that's going to destroy you. You know, so everybody first, you know, asks the thing, give me 10 tons of gold. But then the genie piles it on top of him and smashes it with it. You didn't ask me not to put it on top of you. Oh, i got to think now my second wish. I can't get stuck. I, okay, get me out from underneath the gold. Ooh, all the gold gone. Okay, now i got one more wish. And the genie has basically observed all these people asking whatever they want and wishing they had never found the genie in the bottle, you know? And they're, they're going to spare the next guy, so they put the cork in and throw it out in the middle of the ocean and sink it somewhere so the next guy doesn't get cursed. But then the next guy finds the bottle thinking, woohoo, three wishes, whatever I want. And then they regret having had the power to ask whatever they want. And, and Jesus is saying, guys, you're asking your father. And he's not trying to say, oh, I'm going to rain on your parade. God always going to give you what he wants you to have. Oh, why bother asking for mountains? Go back to the regular praying. You know, Lord, give us a little wind at our back. Give us a little bump here and there. But, you know, the Bible basically says, according to God's will, so it just, you know, totally let the air out of that wonderful thought you had, right? That's not what John's doing here. He is saying, ask outrageous things. Believe God for miracles. And, and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a, a afraid of asking something that would upset God. Not going to happen. You're not going to pray something that really is really selfish. I'm going to ask something and, man, if I, you know, what spirit am I of, you know? Like John and Jane calling fire to heaven and asking him to consume the Samaritan village that rejected Jesus. What spirit have you of? Satan? Oh, so sorry, man. I gotta think better before I pray. I gotta really work on my theology. Because I'm really upsetting God with this prayer thing. And he's saying, it's not gonna happen. I mean, come on, you, your parents know how it is. Your five-year-old kid thinks up at 10 o'clock at night when they were supposed to be in bed two hours earlier. We could go to McDonald's and get a bunch of food. Now, you mad at the kid? You should have already been in bed and they're not going anywhere. Blah, you know. No, I mean, you say, not going to happen. Well, let's go get a gallon of ice cream and eat it at 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, I mean, Mom will do that later, but no, you guys are going to do that. Um, you're not mad at your kids, right? It was outrageous. It was silly. It was actually hurtful to them. They didn't know that. But as a parent, are you mad? Are you upset? Are you telling them, look, tomorrow when you ask me stuff, you better really, really think through it because you're, you're asking like 10 times and I'm saying no nine times, and this is really starting to wear me out. 
would you really think about what you asked me and, and make it something that I'd most likely say yes to? Are kids, can kids do that? Are they even capable of doing that? Not at all. They ask a hundred things and, and, and one of them is healthy. One of them is good for them. One of them is the right timing to do that. And we're not bothered by it at all. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. Guys, you're talking to God, and how are you talking to God? In the righteousness of Christ. You're not some foreigner. You're not some distant relative. You are the child of God, just like Jesus is the Son of God in the same way we are sons of God. We are children of God. And Jesus is saying, I came to earth, I showed you the way, I died on the cross for you to not only do what I did, but now that I'm at the right hand of the Father, even greater things are going to be done. That was my desire. That was my intention. That's why I kept saying to you in this instant, believe mountains to be moved. Believe mountains to be moved. Come on, I, not me. I mean, one of those guys with it. No, even if your faith is a mustard seed, you can still be one of those guys. I, and this is Jesus' teaching. This is Jesus' heart that we would get and understand. Boy, do we have some amazing examples. I, I think of Elijah. He was a man, James tells us, that prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years to, to humble Israel to quit worshiping Baal and, and to get Ahab and Jezebel out of the place of power, ruling as king and queen and, and, um, and destroying the whole country into this Baal worship. And he prayed. And uh, it doesn't tell us that it's 1 Kings 18, but it tells us in James 5 that he prayed and it stopped raining. And then things got really, really bad, and people did repent. And, of course, there's a whole other story in there, right? Fire, calling fire to heaven, consuming the sacrifices. And there's a lot more to the story, and I gave you the verses there you can read later. But the second time we actually see in 1 Kings, and, and it tells us that he went and he prayed that God now would bring rain, and nothing happened. <laughs> And he prayed again. He put his head down between his knees and he, he is praying earnestly and he sends a servant, go look again. And this happens seven times. And finally, the servant comes back and says, there's really no change. Well, out in the distance, there's a little tiny, I think it's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, take off running before you get stuck in the mud. Go, go, go. And James tells us this. In James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The righteous man, we are the righteous man, right? Not in ourselves, but as a gift of God. And then it tells us in this, in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Don't you feel sorry for that guy? But here's the difference. He prayed earnestly. 
So God is telling us here that Elijah didn't have a special righteousness. Elijah didn't have a special gift of prayer. Elijah didn't have a special gift of faith. The, the thing that separated Elijah and seeing mountains being moved is like Jacob, he believed God and he wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. Elijah stood there and, and would not budge. He was stubborn. Boy, again, so many passages. I, I think of that. Jesus goes over to Tyler inside this Gentile woman whose daughter's demon possessed, says, Hey, kill my daughter from this demon possession. And Jesus ignores her. And this goes on until the finally apostles say, just tell her you're not interested. Get lost because it's embarrassing. And, and we see Jesus drawing out her faith. And you remember that story. He turns to the woman. It's not good to give the dogs, the, the kids' bread, the Jews, to the dogs, the Gentiles. And she's like, yeah, but even the puppies get to eat the crumbs off the... Oh, Jesus, is your faith. And, you know, he had always planned on casting that demon out of her daughter, but he drew out her faith over, looked like he was ignoring her and what was not interested in helping her. We know that wasn't the case, but he drew out her faith like Elijah's faith was drawn out. Persisting in prayer. Interesting, in Luke 11, Jesus there teaches the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you compare Matthew and Luke, at the very beginning of the ministry, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, he didn't say he teaches to do miracles. Teaches how to have killer messages. Teaches how to break the bread. He, he, only one thing the disciples ever asked Jesus, teaches to pray. Because they knew that was the key of everything else. All the anointing, all the blessings, all the power, all the love, all the insight, all the wisdom. They knew that it came from Jesus' prayer life. And in Matthew, at the very beginning, in Luke, it's at the end of the three years of ministry. And in Luke 11, they ask him again, teach us to pray. And Jesus, once again, teaches them the Lord's Prayer. But this time, he adds to it. In Luke 11, verse 5 through 10, he said to them, which of you shall come to a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and has nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because his friend, yet because of his, what? Persistence. He will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone, not some people, but everyone, like Elijah, who asks, receives, who sees, finds, who knocks, it will be open. So Jesus says, uh, here's, the, here's the key. I, I taught you the Lord's Prayer early on. But now I'm going to say it's still the same thing, the Lord's Prayer. But here's, here's a nuance that you've probably observed but you didn't hear it directly. Now I'm going to tell you directly. It's like a friend who comes to his friend at midnight. You know, all the animals are inside that need to be inside. and You know, all the chickens are calm and the pig is calm. And 
No, they're Jews. No big. Um, the lambs are calm. The kids are calm. Ah, finally, I can get some sleep. And all of a sudden, this knock. The chickens. Ah, oh, the lamb. Oh, you know, everything's going. And oh my goodness, go away. You know, this is going to take me forever to settle things down. Give me some bread. You know, you can't get out of bed really. You step all over stuff. But he, he finally says, look, I, I, you're my best friend. You're not going to stop liking me. Our friendship's not in jeopardy here. I've been annoying you for 30 years, and you're still my best friend. So, you know, this is just one more time I'm annoying you. No big deal. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to keep knocking. You know, every time you get things settled, you're going to hear me knocking again. So I might as well just get up now. And he said, not because of their friendship, not because he really wants to give him any bread. He finally does what the other guy wants. So the persistence will end. Interesting. Something worthy to meditate on. Later on in Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus does this again. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and what? Not lose heart. You see, that, that, that's the key. We're in this human world. We can't see the angels that are around about us this morning. Can't see the demon battle that's going on around us either. A lot of the answers to prayer, God doesn't let us see because it would just preoccupy us. We'd be so enamored sitting around looking at the miracle that we wouldn't get on with life. And, in, and this, this is it. In our human flesh, part of Satan's plan, part of the human element of not seeing the spiritual realm, we can lose heart in our praying. And Jesus says, this is the thing. You've got to keep encouraging yourself. You've got to keep working on it. There's a mentality that, that, that you need to have that will keep you from going through those seasons of your life where you just stop praying. And you stop believing God for great things. So many of you here today are, are going, man, I can remember when I used to do radical prayer. I remember, man, I can tell you this time God answered that prayer, this time God did this. And when was that? Uh, 1990. Yeah, okay. What's happened? You know, this is it. We lost heart. We, we got sidetracked. And so he said, let me tell you a parable about that. There's a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get, in, get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God, total atheist, nor regard man, he could care less about people, yet because this widow troubles me, I will adventure, lest by her continual coming to me, she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge his own elect who cry to him day and night, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And then he ends here, talking about in the latter days, before the rapture of the church. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? We know the last days, right? The apostasia. Many will fall away. In the last days, many are, are caught up with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and it chokes us out. 
and we're not the person we should be. Jude says we get raptured still, but you can smell the pollution on our own clothing, the illicit sex, the drugs, the alcohol, whatever. As God's snatching us up and putting us into a new body, our clothes have a stench to them of, of not walking with the Lord, he says. And so this is the, uh, the perilous times. Every time you look at the end times, the last days will be perilous times for us believers. Because if you have a, an average, you know, pretty good Christian life, you probably won't make it in those last days. Being a neutral, uh, you'll be going the wrong direction downhill. And so he, he says, now let's, let's do this by a lesser, greater than parable. This judge is a man, and he's an atheist. Full, says in his heart, there's no God. On the other side, the judge is God. <laughs> Who believes in God? <laughs> um, but we look at these natures. He's all wise. This atheistic judge, he only wants to help out rich people that can give him bribes, and, and, and he can get something off it. So anything he does as a judge is going to have to pay him. It's going to have to be worth his while. This widow has no money. She has no prestige. He's not going to lift his finger. On the other hand, God, what's true religion? Taking care of widows and orphans. Boy, you'll find widows and orphans are at the top of God's list to help. But this widow... This man could care less. God cares about her about more than anybody else on the planet. But yet, this woman who's having to deal with the nature of this man wins <laughs> with persistence. And he says, how much more who God already wants to give to you, already wants to bless you, already wants to answer your prayer, just like any father wants to answer the request of his kids. How much more? Those who are crying out to God day and night, he can answer our prayer quickly, but in the persistence of our prayer is where we really grow. In the persistence of our prayer is where we really see God. In the persistence of our prayer is where we mature in our faith. So God can quickly answer our prayers, but he doesn't. And so it's important that we don't grow weary in well-doing as Galatians 6, 9 says, we'll reap if we faint not. Hebrews 11, 6 also says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Time escapes us for me to go into detail about Moses, who kept his hands up all day, this 80-year-old guy, Joshua, go down and fight against the Malachites. And, and Joshua gets down there, and he's like, I've never even held a bow. Ooh, he shoots it. Perfect shot. I don't even know what to do with the spear. Ah, throws it. And the guy gets killed. And he's like, man, I'm a great warrior. I didn't even know how to be a warrior. But Moses is, is up there praying, and, he's, and Aaron says, man, they're doing great. Take a look, Moses. And Moses looks, and they're doing horrible. His hands came down. 
And he's like, God, help them. And Aaron says, oh, they're doing great again. Take a look, Moses. And Moses puts his arms down. And they're, oh, they're dying. They're doing horrible again. And, and then he realized, i got to keep my hands up. I mean, a 20-year-old would have a hard time keeping his arms up from early morning until the sun went down. But an 80-year-old guy, he probably should be dead, is having to keep his hands up. Oh, and Aaron and Hurd set him down on a rock, and they hold his shaft. Sometimes he's pulling on it, trying to hold his hands together, and then sometimes he's pushing up. And, and, and the guys are so proud of themselves coming out of the valley with the great victory. And the first time God ever said, write this down. This is the first scripture we know that's written. It's found in Exodus 17. And God says, don't write the scripture yet until Joshua comes. And then write it down in front of him what really happened. And Joshua was thinking, man, we don't even know how to be soldiers, and we're the best soldiers that have ever existed. And he's writing it down. He realizes they wouldn't have one ounce of success if Moses didn't have his hands up. And 100% of their success was not what was going down on in the valley, but what was going up on the mountain, right? And Moses persisting, laboring, struggling in pain, crying out to God for victory. Jonathan, who said, hey, God can get victory with one man or a whole army. And Jonathan's armor bearer said, let's go. And Jonathan, with him and his armor bearer, took on the Philistines and won. Joshua saying, Lord, we're, we're trying to take vengeance on our enemy, but the sun's going down. Stop, son. And it tells us in Joshua 10, the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There has been no day like that before it or after it. The Lord heeded the voice of a man. I think the Lord wasn't mad at Joshua for messing up the whole universe. I think he was proud of it. Wow. Stop the sun. You have no idea what you're doing to Mars and Pluto and, and, and all the comets and, and the rotation, you know, and the moon and the... Man! Joshua, there's nothing hard for God. There's nothing difficult for God. David killing the lion, the bear, and the giant. I think we can wrap it up by hearing Jeremiah and how he understood this thing about believing God. In Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Question mark. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jesus, when people came with various conditions, he would often just say to them, according to your faith, let it be to you. So as we are in this earthly world, we are not limited to only our earthly abilities for success. 
And a matter of fact, even if you're a genius at your business, you know there's got to be that special divine touch to make things sweet, even in the midst of success, right? I mean, there's been a lot of successful people in the last two years that have committed suicide. And so we, we, we come to realize, yeah, Jesus is right. Man can't live by bread alone. But meditate on word day and night. And now we come to understand it that man really can't make it either without praying, without ceasing. And in those prayers, persisting and believing God for great things, knowing he's thought of stuff that you haven't even thought of, he'll do far beyond. So let us be a people of prayer, right? Lord, we come before you now as we are meditating on these things. We, we find your statement about the word sort of outrageous, meditating on it day and night. We prosper in all that we do. And now we discover your mindset, Jesus, without qualifier, without balance, without any excuse whatsoever. You're just like, your mindset was believing the Father as we are to do. Believe the Father in your name. Through the cross that you died and rose again, we can now have that direct access unto the Father. That we are to do the works you did and even greater works. That we're to believe in the way you did Jesus and even in greater ways. And we know that you're putting words into our heart and into our mind as we meditate. To think about praying about stuff we never would have thought about had we not been meditating in your word day and night. But as we meditate, you're causing us to pray and pray radical, outrageous, great things that the Father would be glorified and that our joy would be made full. Let us meditate on this. We yield before you. Make us the people of God after your own heart who do all your will. In Jesus' name.